for Your Good Ministries International, a ministry going into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. This series is teaching on the law of first reference, that is, how we begin or upon what do we establish all things in our lives, and the law of first institution, that is, to what do we first work all things out in our lives. And now, here's Abraham. Well, a great day to all of our listeners. It's really our delight to continue in the series that we have been teaching over the recent past. And you may recall we're talking about what Scripture refers to as the law of first reference. In other words, what do we refer to firstly in every context of our lives? Secondly, and we'll lead into this a little bit down the road, the law of first institution. In other words, what did God institute firstly? And through that, we should apply all areas of our lives first and foremostly. Let's have a brief recap on that that we taught last week. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 4 verse 6 briefly. It says, My people perish or fail or not found to be successful because of a lack of knowledge. We spoke about that. That knowledge represents a knowledge of the Word of God applied into any and every context of our lives. And so the reason why we fail the lack of knowing what the word teaches in a certain context, and from that obviously a lack of application into that area and all that context. Then we spoke about how do we progress to success. And we went to John chapter 8, and we read from verses 31 to 32, where Jesus is speaking and he gives us a few steps that take us to the place of being free from any encumbrance, or hindrance, or you could say far removed from failure. And Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. So the first step is to believe in the person of Jesus Christ. You could say to the point of the born-again experience. That is very key if ever we're going to walk in success in our lives. Then he says, If you, in other words, it's my choice to make, God doesn't force himself upon myself. God doesn't force himself upon you. He gives us the option of choice. And so Jesus says, if you abide in my word, in other words, give focus to my word, meditate on my word, get to know my word, live your life by my word. He says, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. So a disciple is one who abides in the word of God as relates to any context of life. He says, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. He says, and then you shall know the truth. That's an experiential truth. Now we are walking out and experiencing the word of God because we've applied a corresponding action, which is called faith, that lines up to the word of God. And now we're beginning to walk out or walk into and experiencing the very victory that the word has for us in a certain area and a context of our lives. And then Jesus says, and the truth shall make you free. So now that we're walking in that truth, it'll overcome, it'll drown out if you like, it will supersede, it will nullify 
any encumbrance or failure of our past. Then we looked at Joshua chapter 1 verses 8 and 9, where it says, This book of the law, in other words, scripture, shall not depart from your mouth. There's a wisdom in speaking the word of God. We know when Jesus was tempted by the enemy in the wilderness, he said, it is written. And when we speak, there's power released if our words correlate to the word of God. Of course, if we're speaking negativity or death, the things that are contradictive of the word of God, we're going to get the result of that and not the word of God. So again, it says this law, pardon me, this book of the law or scripture shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in, not on, but in it. Others were delving deep in and we're owning what we are meditating on. So we will meditate in it day and night. It's a continuous acknowledgement or knowledge or awareness of the word of God. He says, why? That you may observe to do according to all that is written in the Bible. And so we observe it, we speak it for the purpose of releasing faith to begin to do the word of God. And then it goes on to say, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And then he goes on to say, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. In other words, there will be challenges that will come against the word, contradictions, circumstances, situation. We need to be strong and be of good courage. And says, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The context of the application of God's word, God is with us whenever we apply the word of God. We then briefly refer to Psalm chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. Where the psalmist says, blessed is the man. Which man is blessed? He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You can say the counsel that contradicts scripture or the word of God. Nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. In other words, this person measures his relationships and what him or her are exposed to, so that that doesn't contaminate the pure, incorruptible word of God. And it says in verse 2, so this person that is blessed says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. You could say in scripture as it applies to any given context and obviously every context of our lives. It says in his law or the word of God, upon that this person meditates day and night. He has that continuum again of meditation and recognition and pondering upon the word of God. It says, this man and or woman, obviously, this man shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth in its season great fruit. It says, this man, his leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does, what a wonderful promise we have in scripture. And whatever he does shall or will but only can, it shall prosper. And so when we meditate on the word of God and we apply the word of God and we walk out the word of God, we will, says scripture, we shall prosper. And then we looked at two other brief scriptures and then we continue there from. Last week we closed out in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. The scripture says there is a way that seems right. So there's many ways out there that seem right because they represent our past way of thinking. And so in that thinking, we may think, almost wanted to say believe, but we, we think that those ways may be right. 
says there is a way that seems right to a man, but at the end, in other words, it's resultant outcome, but at the end, it results in destruction and or failure. Naturally, we don't want destruction or failure in our lives. So how do we avert that? How do we not go down a road where that becomes our outcome? We don't go down a way that seems right. We go to the way that is right, which is the word of God, again, in any context of our lives. So the law of first reference is always to go to the word of God in the beginning of every season. We spoke about John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. In other words, in the beginning, we go to the word of God. Anything we're about to start in our lives before we engage or start, whatever that context might be, we first go to the word of God for its a sure foundation. We study to get to know the Word of God as to how we apply it in that given context. Then we consolidate God's Word with a, con with a corresponding action of doing God's Word. That's called faith. Now we set up to start that season because we understand and am already applying God's Word before we start that new season. Then we looked at Mark chapter 7 verse 13 and it reads as follows. It says that we make the Word of God of no effect, how? By our traditions and doctrines that have been handed or passed down to us by our predecessors or our ancestors. Now that's a powerful scripture. Most all of us, until we study God's word and begin to apply it, we've had traditions or doctrines or cultural persuasions or biases that have been passed down to us that in our way of thinking, or the way to do everything. But actually when we analyze that context in our lives, we will find that we're in failure, we're in heartache, we're in pain, we're in anguish. And that's because we've gone with traditions and doctrines or cultural persuasions that our ancestors have passed down to us, thinking that that's the way to do something because our mind has been set with that kind of thinking. And so we're doing things that reproduce failure pain, anguish, and heartache time and time again. So the first thing to do is to lay down our traditions and our doctrines, our cultural persuasions or biases, and trust the Word of God, because it will always bring us to only one outcome, and that is good success. So let's now continue in picking up from where we left off last week, and we've just summarized that. And let's look at another portion of Scripture that gives us a wonderful insight as to our outside of God inability to function effectively. And let's look at this portion of scripture found in Jeremiah chapter 10. I'm going to read a bit of a backdrop. In other words, pick up from verse 20. But then I want to lay my emphasis on verse 23. And so yeah, the prophet Jeremiah is saying as follows. He says of the people represented as Israel. So this could be you and I. And he's explaining why they have found themselves in a place of deplorable failure. He says, and my tent is plundered. And so my tent that may have contained something that was good, maybe something excessive and abundantly good, says my tent is plundered. In other words, it's now bereft of that that was in it beforehand. It says my tent is plundered and all my cords are broken. That's that that holds up the tent or the context of our life. It says, all my cords are broken. So he's come to a point where he realizes 
that he's in a place where his tent or his life is plundered. Everything that's holding up or propping up his life is broken. And all my cords are broken. Then he says, even my children have gone far from me. That often happens in our lives when we get to that place of failure or breakdown. Even those closest to us depart from us and become distant from ourselves. He says, and my children have gone far from me. So there's reason for this. They haven't just moved on to go far from this person now concerned in this portion of Scripture or these persons or this nation. But because the tent has been plundered, the cords are broken. So this person now is in a status of failure. And so the outworking of that is even his children have gone far from him. And they are no more. It's almost like they're non-existent in his life. They've been so far removed from his or her life. And this person goes on to say, there is now no one to even pitch my tent anymore. So this person is isolated, is far removed from help because he's in such a place of brokenness or failure in a context of his life. And says, or even to set up my curtains. Then it goes on to say, he says, for the shepherds, so these are those that taught the word, so coming more more succinct, however, we could say for ourselves who want to walk in the word. It says, for the shepherds have become dull-hearted and have not sought the Lord. So we don't seek God through scripture to get his wisdom. We find ourselves in this picture of failure. It says, therefore, because of the way that they are now walking their lives, therefore they shall not prosper. So those who are far from God or the wisdom of God's counsel may be hoping for prosperity to come in a certain area of their lives. But Joe, the prophet is saying, they shall not prosper. He says, and all their flocks shall be scattered. Again, because they haven't sought after the Lord or his way of doing something. Then it says in verse 22, behold, the noise of the report has come. That noise represents a clanging sound, a sound that you don't want to hear. It's, it's, it's a noise that's not pleasant to the ear, for it conveys, it conveys, pardon me, failure, pain, and anguish. So it says, Behold, the noise of the report has come, and a great commotion out of the north country, to make the cities of Judah desolate a den of jackals. So yeah, Jeremiah is describing where we can find our lives outside of going to the wise counsel of God's word, trusting it, believing it, and applying it in our lives. But then he concludes in verse 23. I believe this is a helpful scripture as to where or what we need, for we cannot attain something. And so he says this, he says, O Lord, now against the backdrop of that that I've just read in verses 20. 21 and 22. Now he says, Oh Lord, there's almost a desperation, although a conclusion of great understanding. As he says this, he says, Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. Why? Because God created us. And when God created us, he had a plan and a purpose and a way to do all things in life that will bring us to success. So outside of God's involvement or the counsel of God's word, yeah, Jeremiah is saying, he says, he's come to this conclusion. He says, Lord, you could say, I now have come to realize, to know, to understand 
that the way of man is not in himself. We need God working in and through us and the counsel of the wisdom of Scripture. O oh Lord, I know, that's a knowledge that is absolute, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Now, to me, that's a great encouragement. Because God has created me as he has you. He's got that plan, that purpose. He's got a way that not only seems right, but is right, which is given to us by the wisdom and the counsel of his word. When we go to the word in the areas of our marriage, our family, our parenthood, how to father, how to be a mother, how to be a businessman, how to be an employer, an employee, whatever context of life, it's not in ourselves to walk those contexts outside of the counsel and the wisdom of God's word. So again, and then we'll have a short break. Jeremiah now says in verse 23, he says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Thank God that we have God, the wisdom of the counsel of God's word in scripture, to walk out every area of our life to get God's promised outcome, a blessed, prosperous, successful outcome in every single area of our lives. For Your Good Ministries International, a ministry whose vision it is to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. For Your Good both hosts its own conferences and is also invited into other contexts to train and to teach. Two, train pastors and leaders and others in the fivefold ministry. Train into church governance with resultant unity. Mediate into and bring about conflict resolution. Train into marriage, family and parenting. Train into the business sectors on how to be in unity and function successfully, for unity commands a blessing. Trains too into the educational sectors on how to be in unity and function successfully, for unity commands a blessing. For You Good also establishes Bible colleges. For You Good Ministries, ministers on Christian radio, on online platforms, and on various social media platforms. Partner with us for For Your Good Ministries as a heart for all is going into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. And email us for more information on our ministry services or to train into your context. Reach out to us on inquiries at For Your Good. Net. I now want to continue by looking at God's high value or estimation or consideration of the Word of God, that is of Scripture. So how does God view His Word? Because how God views His Word determines His high level of watching over and fulfilling His Word, of ensuring as a covenantal promise to ourselves that when we do His Word, success is the only outcome. 
So how does God view his very word? For me, the higher I see God recognizing his word, the easier in a sense, or the more willingly I want to subscribe to his word and do what scripture says that will bring me guaranteed success. So let's look at God's high view of his word. And there's a wonderful scripture in Psalm 138 verse 2 that says as follows. For you have magnified or elevated or exalted your word above all your name. Now friends, to me that is a powerful, powerful scripture. So God himself, by his design, by the value we can attach to his word, he says this. He says he has magnified his word, that scripture, above all of his name. So what is all of his name? Well, we have God Father, God Son, God the Holy Spirit, God our provider, our protector, our healer, and so on and so forth. Above all of those things that represent the name of God, there's one thing that God elevates far above his word. Pardon me, above his self or his name. And that is his word. Now, why is that? Well, let me give at least two reasons for that. A person truly is known by, or his level of character is known by his word and how he keeps his word. So God wants us to know that because he keeps his word, consistent with that, we can elevate his name. And so he elevates his word above all of his name. In other words, his word actually represents or depicts his name or his person. So let's look at that again. He says, you have magnified or elevated your word above all your name. What that could also mean is this, is I could even be praying in the very name of Jesus Christ, but not getting an answer. Now that's interesting. Most of us think, well, if we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, that settles all matters. Not in its entirety or the fullness of understanding. So pray in the name of Jesus Christ is powerful. But if I'm adding on the name of Jesus Christ at the end of my prayer, but that that I prayed is inconsistent to the word of God, I by default have minimized or I've detached the power of the name of Jesus Christ because it doesn't line up to the word of God. And so I need to be in the will of God, which is the word of God. Now when I go to the word of God and now I say in the name of Jesus Christ, then the name of Jesus Christ is directly correlated or linked to the Word of God. So if I go into marriage, for example, and I go to the Word of God, and I study the Word of God, and I do the Word of God, and I then pray in Jesus' name for my marriage, something is going to happen. So God elevates His Word above all His name, because in essence His name is His Word, if I'm praying in his name, for example, the name of Jesus Christ, but it doesn't line up to the word, it's my tradition, it's my doctrine, it's my cultural persuasion or bias, it's the way my ancestors did it, it's a way that seems right, but I'm saying in the name of Jesus Christ, that result is not going to be forthcoming. Because Jesus Christ only ever aligns himself to fulfill a context in my life when it's directly correlated to the word of God. 
Now, friends, that's powerful. If I am applying the Word of God, its knowledge, its wisdom, its counsel, in any area in my life, and I then pray in Jesus' name, Jesus will ensure that something transpires that lines up to His Word, as will the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, as we said before, brings conception or brings life to the Word of God. And so the name Jesus Christ, or all the names of God, are in a sense rendered ineffective unless they are lined up to the Word of God. So the Word of God is ever before us. There's never a time in our lives that we have a Bible in our hands that we cannot find a word that's an answer or a solution to any area of our lives. And when we now do that word, now if we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, something powerful is going to transpire. We're going to result in a place that's prosperous. We're going to walk into and through and enjoy the blessings of God in any single area of our lives. For example, how I function as an employee. Scripture teaches me, Peter writes about that. The book of Romans writes about that. Talks about how I function as an employee. In those contexts, the word slave is often used, but in our context of understanding, we put the word employee there. So when I go and search out how do I function in regard to my employer as an employee, when I do that, the Bible says I'm going to get guaranteed success. So now I can go into my office place, function consistent with that that represents the role of an employee. And then I can say, Father God, I'm now praying in the name of Jesus Christ. Now the Holy Spirit is going to bring conception to the word and to the name Jesus Christ. And when those tie up as one, promotion is the only ultimate outcome in my life. So many people in the area of employment as an employee are failing and may be frustrated because they haven't gone to the Word of God and then prayed in the name of Jesus Christ to ensure that promotion is forthcoming. So let's look at that portion of Scripture again. It says, You have magnified your Word above all of your name. Again, I want to place emphasis on the high value of how God Himself sees His Word. God, in a sense, is held to His Word. By His will, by His design, it's not forced upon God. But God is saying that I am the person who will always honor my word. My word supersedes all else. It's the highest estimation of myself. It's my covenantal guarantee to you that when you embrace my word, then the power of my name is engaged and a one and only result can be the outcome, which is success prosperity in any area of my life. So God has magnified His Word above all of His name. I'd like us, before we go into next week's teaching, which will occur next week, is to spend this coming week just pondering on that portion of Scripture. That God elevates His Word, magnifies or exalts or lifts His Word up, as the highest estimation of all things, and that His name or His names or anything that represents the attribute of God are only consolidated or become reality in our lives when that is lined up to the Word of God. We thank you for joining us in viewing this program and look forward to meeting with you next week as we continue with this series.